Well, I want to talk to you today about three valleys. I'm going to pull them right out of the scripture, three valleys. And these three valleys, I think, sort of represent all of the valleys. There are many more valleys mentioned in the scripture than, than these three. And I'm not going to do a real extensive geographical study of uh, all of that. But I do want them to represent the valleys that you may go through in life. And I hope you'll see from that some principles that will help you when you find yourself in a valley. For my text, a verse of scripture taken out of a chapter that most of you could probably quote the entire chapter. I'm not going to read the entire chapter, but just verse 4 from the 23rd Psalm reads like this, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Webster says that a valley is the low ground between two hills or two mountains as the case may be. In other words, there's two uh, high spots and there's a low spot between it. Metaphorically, however, the term valley has come to represent a low place in life, be that physically or mentally or emotionally. It's just that low place in life. I'm not going to ask for a show of hands. I could ask the question, and I'm sure the answer would be near 100%. How many of you have gone through a valley or a valley kind of experience in your lifetime? And in case you happen to be one of those who cannot raise your hand, I'm not here to share gloom, despair, and misery. I'm not trying to discourage you. But I can promise you this, if you live long enough, you're going to go through a valley. I mean, it's just part of life. God did not design life for us to be one level plateau of just mundane uh, step from birth to death. It just doesn't go that way. And I'm glad, kind of glad it doesn't because there are peaks and valleys. There are mountaintops experiences, and then there's low land that we go through. But but it, we're, we're always moving forward. And, and to be honest with you, one of the things that makes the mountaintop experiences so enjoyable and such a blessing is because you had to go through a valley to get there. And, uh, and, and so today we're going to look at, at, at valleys. Life, as I said, doesn't consist of just the mundane, and the, but, but, but there's the up and the down as well. The three valleys that I want to look at from the scripture, the first one is the valley of Bareka, is the way you pronounce it, I think, in the Hebrew. It's found in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. Uh, in the English, you would say Bareka. But uh, that's the first one we're going to look at. The second one is the valley of Elah. It's found in 1 Samuel chapter 17. By the way, let me back up to that first one. That first one literally became known as a valley of victory and blessing. Now, it wasn't always known as that. It got its name because of some good things that happened, some victories that were won in that valley. The second one is, uh, is where David slew Goliath. You all familiar with that story in the Bible, David and Goliath? The third one is the valley of Midian. It's found in Judges chapter 7. And that's where Gideon defeated the Midianites. We'll look at that. To set this whole thing up, let, let's look at the plight that you see 
in each of these situations that we're presenting to you. In the first one, the Valley of Baraka, there were three armies. Think of that now. Three armies that had surrounded the children of Israel. Jehoshaphat was king at the time. And three large armies. Now think about that. How many of you understand that if your odds are one against three, that, that you got a pretty serious problem, right? And, and when, you, when you think about this militarily, you got one army fighting three armies. And to make matters worse in this particular situation, one of the strategies of warfare in that day was to surround your enemy and then just maintain your position long enough and they either had to come out and fight and you had them outnumbered in every direction or you just starved them out until they were so use up all their supplies all the food sources gone and they're hungry to the point that they just have to give up you just walk in and take over well that's the situation that Jehoshaphat found himself in in Second uh, Chronicles chapter 20 he's surrounded by three huge armies, Ammon, Moab, and the people of Mount Seir. The second one, the one that you're very familiar with, is when David came out against Goliath. Now, remember this, it, it was more than just two men meeting up fighting. It was two armies that were set against each other. Uh, the Philistine army was way over on the other side of this valley, and, and a huge army had assembled there. On this side of the valley was the Israelite army, and they were ready to go to war against each other. But the Philistines came up with a, an idea. Captain of the army of the Philistines yelled over to the armies of Israel and said, look, why should we fight and kill each other? Why don't we just choose a man from each of our armies and let him represent the whole army, bring him out in the valley here, and let those two guys duke it out. And whoever wins, the other army will be subject to them. We'll just give up and surrender. If you win, we'll give up and surrender. If, uh, if uh, we win, you give up and surrender. And they agreed to that. But little did they know what was ahead. Philistines said, okay, here comes our warrior. And they marched this dude out that's over eight feet tall. He's a giant. Not only is he a giant, but he is skilled in warfare. He is a warrior. He is dressed in the finest armament of that day. I mean, from head to toe. He's got a, he's got a helmet on that's, uh, that's impenetrable. And, and, and he's, got, uh, he's got the breastplates on. And he's all the way down to his shoes, er everything. And he's got his own shield. And, and then he's got that other shield. In those days, they had more than one shield. They had the one they could carry, the smaller one. And then they had one that their servant carried in front of them, which was big enough to, to, uh, to keep anything from hitting their body anywhere. And, and so here he is. I mean, this is like rolling a tank out and, uh, and saying, come and get me. And then they said, okay, Israel, let's see your man. Well, Israel doesn't have anybody. They don't have any giants. In fact, the tallest guy in all of Israel was the king, and he is trembling with fear. 
His name's Saul. Saul was head and shoulders above uh, all the people in Israel. But even with his height, he is no match for that Goliath guy. And so the standoff is there. And they come out, Goliath does a couple times a day, and he taunts Israel. Come on, send somebody out to fight me. Send somebody out. Let me, we'll settle this score right now. And this goes on for a while. Well, this is not going to last forever. Israel's going to have to give up if they can't produce. And Saul's afraid. He's the king. He's the biggest guy there, and he's, he's afraid. Until this little old shepherd kid steps up named David. You remember David? David's a little guy. He's kind of the run of the family, in fact. When, when Samuel went to anoint him as the next king of Israel, God told him, said, Samuel, I want you to go down to the house of Jesse. I have chosen one of Jesse's boys to be the next king of Israel. And uh, so, so he takes a horn of oil and he goes down to Jesse's house and said, Jesse, I want to see your boys. God's got a special blessing for one of your boys. And, and so Jesse runs the oldest child out, the firstborn. And he's a good-looking guy, smart, intelligent, sharp. And, uh, and, and Samuel rises to anoint him, and the Lord says, that, that's not him. And so Samuel sits back down. He said, Jesse, that's not him. So Jesse brings in the second-born son. And the same thing happens. And God said, no, that's not him. Third child, fourth child, fifth child, sixth child. <laughs> it's just going on and on. And, and Samuel must be wondering as the man of God, what in the world's going on? Until he's looked at, at seven of the sons. And, um, and he tells Jesse, he said, Jesse, this, this is just not it. And, and Jesse said, well, come on, let's eat. He said, no, I, I'm, not, I'm not sitting down to eat until... You, you got, is there, do you, do you have another boy somewhere? And Jesse said, oh yeah. I said, I, I got David. I said, he's, he's a little kid. He's out there tending sheep. I said, about all he ever, you ever see out of him is, you know, he's strumming a harp and singing songs and, and uh, out there, out there with the sheep. And, and so Samuel said, well, I, I'm not sitting down to eat until I see David. When David walks in, God speaks to Samuel and said, that's the man anoint him to be the next king of Israel. And, and God also gives to the prophet Samuel a word that is a powerful word that tells us for time and eternity how God looks at things. He says to Samuel, man looks on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. How many of you are glad this morning that when God judges us, he doesn't look at us like everybody else does? He looks at the heart. Amen? Yeah, give him praise for that. Amen. With God, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're tall or short, whether you're, whether you're educated or uneducated, what's your ethnicity, what's your background. Where you, none, none of that stuff matters with God. God's looking at your heart. That's what counts. That's what makes the difference. And I love that because when I come to the house of God, I realize, you know, at, at Calvary, the, levels, the, the ground is level. 
At Calvary, we, when you come and give your heart to Jesus, he washes your sins away and he writes your name on the Lamb's book of life. You become a part of the family of God. God becomes your heavenly father. Jesus becomes your elder brother. And you and I are brothers and sisters. I don't care where you came from, what color you are, anything else. You're my brother if you've been to Calvary. You're my sister if you've been to Calvary. We're the family of God. Amen. And praise the Lord. That's the way it is in the family of God. That's the way God looks at it. So, you see the plight of these three. Look, look at it. You, you, got, you got three armies surrounding, surrounding uh, Jehoshaphat. David, you got a little shepherd boy facing a giant. And in the case of Gideon, Gideon's got an army, but it's a little bitty army. There's just 300 men in Gideon's army. And he's facing the Midianites. And one historian says that the Midianites looked like that army whose camels looked like the seashore and their troops looked like an ocean. And that historian was trying to describe what the Midianite army looked like when it was spread out before Gideon. As far as you can see in every direction, there's Midianites and uh, a, a formidable army. And Gideon's got 300 well, let's look now at God's promise. And this is what intrigued me when I put these three valleys together. In all three, the promise of God is the same. Let's look at it. First of all, remember Jehoshaphat? He's surrounded by three armies. And God says in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15, Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed, because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Wow, I love that. I love that. I, oh, man. And it, it, let, let me read it again. That's just too good. Thus says the Lord to you. Take that personally, will you? Do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Praise the Lord. Look at 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 47. Then all this assembly shall know that the Lord does not save with sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into my hands. Now, let me tell you who said that. The little shepherd boy against the eight-foot giant. In fact, when, when David came out, I mean, Goliath was expecting Saul. And he's probably very angry that Saul didn't show his face. But he at least expected another warrior. And you're talking about insulted. He was insulted when this little shepherd comes out and says, hey, look here, <laughs> I'm the guy. In fact, uh, I'm going to hand your carcass to the birds before the day's over. And Goliath goes nuts. He said, who do you think I am? A dog that you'd come out against me like you little old boy. You're nothing but a kid. You're, you're, you're fixing to see what a warrior can do. I'm, I'm, I'm going to make mincemeat out of you before the day's over. And David looks up at him and said, here's what you don't understand. The battle is not mine. The battle's the Lord's. Amen. <laughs> Boy, folks, there's some concepts here if you get a hold of. 
that will help you fight the battles of life and be victorious. Um, let's look at the third one, Gideon, Judges 7, 14. Now, let me set this up for you. Gideon is facing, with 300 men, he's facing this huge Midianite army. But God gets in the picture, and one of the soldiers slips down to the camp of the Midianites just to kind of eavesdrop on them and hear what they're talking about. And when he gets there, he overhears a couple of soldiers and God's been disturbing these soldiers with some dreams. And here's what they said. One of them said to the other. Then his companion answered and said, This is nothing else but the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. Into his hands God has delivered the Midianites and the whole camp. Wow. Second thing I want you to notice here, not only God's promise, but I want you to see God's protection. Will you do that? Look at this. First of all, God chose the weapons in each of these cases. Now, th this is important to understand. Here's, here's our problem when we're, when we're in a valley and facing battles and difficulties and struggles and challenges in life. We have a tendency to fight in the flesh. In other words, do what comes natural. Uh, you, you criticize me, I criticize you. You lie on me, I'll tell on you. You, you, do. you know, we get, if we're not careful, we get in the flesh fighting these battles. That is always a mistake. What we ought to do is allow God to choose the instruments of war that we fight with. <laughs> now, the reason that's hard to do is because it takes faith to do that to just let God do it. And, and God will challenge your faith by choosing some of the most unorthodox ways to fight battles. I mean, look at the weapons that he uses in each one of these. Look at Jehoshaphat, for example, in 2 Chronicles chapter 20. What does God choose to use in that battle? The choir. The choir. We got three armies out here. We got one little army here. And God comes up with a plan, inspires Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat gets the choir together. Now, let, let me ask you, how many of you, if we were, if we were um, starting a choir this morning, would sign up for the choir if I made the invitation to join the choir like this? God's called on New Hope to have a new choir. And what we're going to do, we're going to train you choir members to sing and then God's going to use you. We're going to go on a mission trip with the choir. We're going to take the choir to Afghanistan. And we're going to put the choir on the front lines. And before every advancement of any of our soldiers, right before they start firing the weapons, everything, we're going to let the choir march towards the enemy and sing the praises of God. How many of you join a choir like that? Did you know three people in the early service signed up? <laughs> they did. I don't know whether they weren't listening or what, but when I said, how many of you joined a choir like that? Three hands are just shot up just like that. So what we got is a trio. <laughs> but that's exactly what God does. Jehoshaphat gets the choir 
And he says to the choir, now rehearse your praises, man. Get that, get that praise course down pat because we're going we're gonna to march right into the teeth of that army. We're going we're gonna to march right into the midst of those three armies, in fact. And, and we're, you're going right out front of the soldiers. You're going to go out singing praises to God. Second case, the Valley of Elah. God, again, uses an unusual weapon. Saul gets David and he says, well, if you're going to go out there and face Goliath, we've got, to, we've got to get you some armament here, get you a sword and so forth. David tries all this stuff on. He said, I'm sorry, Saul, King Saul, it just, it just doesn't fit. And if you don't mind, God inspired me on the way over here. And I stopped by the, by the riverbank and, and I picked up five stones out of the riverbank and uh, put them in this little pouch. And I got this here slingshot. And God told me just to use this slingshot and one of those stones. Now, I know some of you are saying, if, if David had such faith, why did he get five stones? If he really had faith, it looked like he just got one stone. No, Goliath had four brothers. And, and read the rest of the scripture, you'll find out that God took care of them other four brothers before the thing's over. Amen. He, had, he thought he was going to whoop the whole gang that day. He took all of these, all, these, all these army guys, all of these trained soldiers are looking at, at Goliath and saying, man, he's too big to kill. And David is looking at him and said, man, that dude's too big to miss. Use a slingshot. I tell you, it takes faith to trust God, but let him choose the weapons. It always works out better that way. In the third case with Gideon and the Midianite army, he, he, takes, a, he takes a lantern, puts a candle in it, and plays a trumpet. Trumpet, lantern, candle. It's amazing, isn't it? Well, let's look at God's provision. Now, I want to stop here and preface this by saying, go ahead and put that up, God's provision on the screen there. To get God's provision, you must give the battle to the Lord. Here's the problem again, one of the problems that we have in getting victory. We hold on to the problem so tightly, the battle so determined that we're going to figure out a way. We're going, to, we're going to get this thing figured out. We're going to get our way out of this mess. We're going to, there's some of you sitting here this morning. You're in the valley and in the struggle of your life. And you've been struggling. And you've been trying to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. You're going to figure it out. You're going to do it your way. You're going to fight it your way. You're going to try and try and try. And, and you keep getting defeated, defeated, defeated. The first thing you've got to do is release this battle to the Lord. If you want God to choose the weapons and God to win the battle, you're going to have to give God the battle. You've got to release it. Just give God the battle. That, that's, that's a requirement. So, so they did. In the first one, in the first one, Jehoshaphat and the three armies that he's facing in the valley of Baraka, he, uh, the Lord sends, I, I, you won't find an angel in there, I, I know that, but it, but it has to be because God uses some force, and since this is a military engagement, and since the Lord of hosts is the captain of the Lord's army, and God has warring angels, I think he sent down some angels to begin the fight. Before, when the, when the choir started singing, 
And, and the army started marching towards those three armies. It looked like a suicidal mission. But God begins to fight against the Amorites. And they don't know what's going on. They're getting killed right and left. And they turn and they figured that the other t- the Moabites must have turned on them. So they started fighting the Moabites. And the Moabites start fighting the men of Mount Seir. And before you know it, they're fighting each other until by the time Jehoshaphat's army gets there, there's hundreds of thousands of people laying dead all over the battlefield. That valley is full of defeated armies. And all they ever had to do was just sing praise to the Lord. Praise the Lord. His mercy endures forever. Just praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. And God took care of it. Wow. In the second one, God uses supernatural speed and direction. Now, folks, I know David was good with a sling. But I do not believe that in his own strength that that little shepherd boy could have been accurate enough to hit the only uncovered little space in that big giant Goliath's armament, especially with him moving around, with enough force to knock him down without the supernatural power of God. I I believe, glory to God, I believe when he turned loose with that sling and that little stone, I believe God turned that thing into a guided missile and he popped old Goliath right in the top of the head and knocked him to the ground and then he went running up and grabbed his sword and chopped off his head and grabbed his head and come dragging it behind him coming back to Israel while Israel begins to shout and rejoice over the victory and I heard Carmen say one time that David come dragging that old giant's head saying this is how you get ahead in life right here boys (laughs) I'm just seeing if you're awake The third one, 300 against a huge army. And Gideon blew the trumpet. And when he did, they broke the lanterns. And the candles began to shine. And the Midianites thought they were surrounded. And it was just 300 people. And God gave them the victory. Wow. Wow. Supernatural distraction and confusion that gave them the victory over the army. Now, this little lesson on these three valleys are of absolutely no good to you except just information unless you learn how to make application in your life. Remember I said a while ago we all go through valleys? Some of you are in a valley right now. If you haven't been, you're going to be. We, we all go through them. So what I want to do in the next few minutes that I've got here, I just want to share with you what our participation needs to be in this whole thing. Or I could say what to do when you're in a valley. What do you do when you're in a valley? Turn to your neighbor and tell him he's going to tell us what to do when you're in a valley. Make, make sure everybody's away. He's going to tell us what to do. Okay. You ready? Okay, I'm, I'm going to take these right out of the Scripture here from, the, from, from these valley victories that I'm talking to you about. Number one, realize that you cannot do it by yourself. Realize that you can't do it by yourself. As long as you keep trying, as long as you keep, you just, you just keep on. I told you a while ago, you've got to give this battle to the Lord. 
God's not going to take it away from you. You're going to have to release it. And until you realize that you can't do this by yourself, you're going to keep struggling and struggling and struggling trying to fight this battle. So the first thing you need to do, and, and look, here's an example of it. Second Chronicles 20 and 12. Look at the scriptures here. It says, this is Jehoshaphat. He's praying. He's saying, oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power against this great multitude that's coming against us, nor do we know what to do. Now, some people would say, whoa, preacher, that sounds like a negative confession to me. And boy, I'm not going to make any negative confessions. Well, I'm for positive confessions as well. And actually, Jehoshaphat's making a positive connection. He's saying, Lord, I know that we can't handle this thing. (laughs) We can't do it. You You got to realize that you cannot do it by yourself. He said, Lord, we cannot do this by ourselves. We, we, just, we, we don't even know what to do. Think about your own situation for a minute. Some of you have been fighting the same battle trying to figure out your way through a financial crisis or a, or a marriage situation or an or, or a, a, a educational problem or a, a physical problem. You've been trying and trying and trying and trying. Don't you realize it? Just, just admit it. You don't know what to do. It's the quicker you come to that conclusion, Lord, I realize that I don't know what to do. Then the second thing you do is look to God. Let's look at that same scripture, 2 Chronicles 20, 12, and I'll give you the rest of it. Here's what he's praying. Oh, our God, will you not judge them? For we have no power. In other words, I realize that we're not big enough to handle this great multitude that's coming against us. We don't even know what to do. But look at this. But our eyes are on you. Our eyes are on you. Here it is. Here, here is Jehoshaphat, and he is looking at three armies that have him completely surrounded. No, he's not looking at that either. He's looking up here. He's saying, God, ain't no use for me to look around. If I, if I look out there, I've already seen out there. I know what's out there. I know there's three armies out there, and I don't have a clue what to do. I'm just, I'm just the king. I'm just the leader. I'm, I'm the one that's supposed to be leading, but I, I don't know what to do. But I'm going to tell you one thing, God. I'm going to keep my eyes on you because I know you do know what to do. Amen. You've got to get your eyes on the Lord. There, now, to get your eyes on the Lord, there are three things that you've got to get your eyes off of. You've got to quit looking at. You ready for this? Number one, you've got to get your eyes off yourself. You, you, keep, you keep marinating in your problem and keep thinking about yourself on and on and on and on. And the devil will join you in a pity party and keep you in that valley forever. So get your eyes off yourself. Just get your eyes off yourself. Secondly, you need to get your eyes off your past. Some of you can't move forward for looking backward. You're always looking back there. And if you look back there, the devil will remind you of everything that's back there. He'll remind you of every mistake you ever made. He'll remind you of every failure you ever made. He'll remind you of every attempt that you ever made that didn't come out good. He'll remind you of all your bad luck. He'll remind you of your history of being broke. He'll remind, he'll remind you and remind you. And some people are just living in the past. They can't go forward because of the past. You, if you keep driving, looking in the rearview mirror, you're going to run into something. You're going to have a wreck in life. That's the reason you got a little bitty rearview mirror and a great big windshield. 
Because the best thing to do when you're driving is to keep your eyes forward. It's okay to glance up at the past every once in a while. Even Paul did that. But he just glanced at the past to remind himself of what God brought him out of. He just kind of, he glanced in the rearview mirror once in a while and said, hey, yeah, I, I'm ready. I used to be all that, yeah, but God set me free from that. Praise God. I got victory over that. My, listen, folks, the best thing you can do with your past is to let the past be the past. That's what God does. Your mother-in-law may not let it be that way, but God does. Get your mother-in-law saved. Amen. She'll start exercising some faith with you. Let the past be the past. Paul said, forgetting those things which are behind and looking forward to those things which are before. I press towards the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Forget the past. Quit looking at it. Third thing you're going to have to quit looking at is your weakness. Stop looking at your weakness. You look at your weakness, you'll, you, you'll get, I can't do this, and I can't do that, and I can't, I, I'm too, I'm not. Jehoshaphat admitted all that. But stop looking at your weakness, and then get your eyes on the Lord. And then this is how you get through the valley. Praise the Lord. 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 Lord, I've never had a sickness like this before, but I praise you anyway. Lord, I've never been in a financial struggle like this, but I'm praising you anyway. Because my God shall supply all my need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Lord, I, I've, I've never, I've never, my marriage has never been in the trouble that it's in right now. But I'm going to praise you anyway. Because God, you're bigger than marriage problems. God, you're bigger than relationship problems. God, you're, big, you're God. I'm going to praise you anyway. Just praise the Lord. That's what they did. Look at 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 21. And when they had consulted with the people, he appointed those who would sing to the Lord and who would praise him for the beauty of his holiness. And as they went out before the army, they were saying, praise the Lord for his mercy endures forever. Here they are. Here they are. Here they are. One little army three massive armies all the way around them. And they're out there saying, praise the Lord. They must have looked like a bunch of crazy people. <laughs> praise the Lord for his mercy is everlasting. His truth endures to all generations. Praise ye the Lord. Let everything that hath breath praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and come into his courts with praise. We ought to praise the Lord. Amen. We ought to be people of praise. You can praise your way through this valley. You can praise your way to victory. You can praise your way from under your circumstances. Praise the Lord. Now I'm going to conclude by just giving you some scriptures. I'm, I'm not going to read a whole bunch of them because it's very long, but I'm going to just pick out a few here, dropping down through 2 Chronicles 20. Just listen to these. Verse 22, now when they began to sing and praise the Lord, praise the Lord set ambushes against the people of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir who had come against Judah and they were defeated. Verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away their spoil, they found among them an abundance of valuables on the dead bodies and precious jewelry, which they stripped them off of themselves more than they could carry away. And they were three days gathering the spoil because there was so much. Verse 29, and the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries 
when they heard that the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Verse 30, then the realm of Jehoshaphat was quiet, for his God gave him rest all around. Wow. Stand with me, please. I want the prayer team to begin moving this way. Prayer team members and those of you that are connect group leaders, staff members, board members, prayer, come on, prepare to pray. I want to take you all the way back. And if you miss, if you miss everything I've said this morning, if you don't remember anything else, I, w- I want you to take this away with you from this, from this service today. Will you do that? I want to take you all the way back to my text. Psalms 23, verse 4. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Notice, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil. Read, read just that much with me, will you? Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Read it with me again. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Now, the rest of it says, you're with me, your rod and staff, they comfort me. I, I want you to get this. If, if you miss everything else, please take this home with you this morning. He did not say, yea, though I dwell in the valley of the shadow of death. He did not say, yea, though I live in the valley of the shadow of death. He did not say, yea, though I camp. In the valley of the shadow. He said, yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. You see, when you're going through a valley, you're just changing mountains. The shepherd, David was a shepherd, the one who wrote this psalm. The shepherd has his sheep on this mountain range over here. And on this mountain range, there are plateaus and there's pasture land and There's cool, clear, crystal water that's flowing down mountain streams that are wonderful. But after a while, the sheep have grazed out until they need to find new pasture. And so he takes them down through the valley. Now, there's pasture in the valley. There's a place to eat there. And there's water there as well. But sometimes in the valley, the water can become stagnant. And so he doesn't keep them in the valley. He takes them through the valley because he's going to lead them over to this new mountain range over here where there are more plateaus, more level ground, and more pastures and more streams of living water. And he's going to take them to new heights over here. Yea, though I walk through the valley. Now that's what the shepherd does. And Jesus is the chief, chief shepherd. And that's what he'll do for you and me if we'll allow him to. He provides for us a guide to get us through the valley. But he does not provide for us a welcoming committee to the valley and a a neighborhood uh, association for us to live in the valley. We're supposed to go through the valley. Amen? So if, if, you'll, if you'll just begin to praise the Lord today and release your battle to the Lord, you're going to have to turn it loose. Let it go. Turn it to the Lord. 
and get your eyes fixed on him and say to him, you the chief shepherd, <laughs> you said you'd get me through the valley. I'm headed to another mountain peak. You see, God takes us from glory to glory, from glory to glory. But to get from this glory to that glory, you got to go through the valley. How many of you, I'm not trying to put you on the spot, and if you're uncomfortable to raise your hand, don't raise it. But how many of you, that you're okay with it? You're okay to just admit where you are, and you'll say by that, preacher, I need some prayer. But I'm kind of going through a valley right now in life. This is kind of a downtime for me. I'm not on top of the world right now. Just raise your hand. I thought so. I thought so. I didn't think God would give me this message today if there was nobody here that needed it. I want to encourage you to just come and do what we've talked about today, to just turn the battle over to the Lord, just release it to him and start praising the Lord. There are people here to pray with you, for you, or if you want to come find a place, just you and God, but whatever you need today. If you're unsaved, come and give your heart to Jesus. If you're away from God, come on home and renew your, your, your vows to the Lord, your, your fellowship with him. If you're going through a financial valley right now, come on, bring it to the Lord. If you're going through a relationship crisis right now, come on, bring it to the Lord. If your marriage needs help, your finances needs help, your home needs help, your, you, maybe you need a physical touch today. You're going through a valley. The, the altar is open. I wait for you. God bless you as you come.